G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, Culture and Current Events from a Biblical Perspective, 2020 on Vision. Our focus is going to be on an increasing religious intolerance in a post-COVID world and what it might mean as a Christian believer that there is a cost to our discipleship. We'll have a special focus today on the nation of Nigeria, known as the Giant of Africa. It's Africa's most populous country and has the seventh largest national population in the world. And it's a nation that's been racked by violence, Islamic extremist violence. It's continued in northern Nigeria since the 1980s. 6,000 Christians have been killed in the last five years. And two million have been displaced and then thousands more have been maimed or kidnapped. Militants enter predominantly Christian villages and indiscriminately begin to slaughter men, women and children. Hard to imagine from our cosiness here in Australia that this sort of thing could happen anywhere in the world, but it's been happening in the nation of Nigeria. In some villages, attacks have become so frequent, people have stopped reporting them. Governments take no action. The media is silent. It's as though the Christians don't matter. So our conversation today is about the cost of discipleship in nations around the world and we'll touch on how that cost of discipleship relates to us here at home in Australia. Well, our special guest coming over this next hour, Ashley Saunders, is the National CEO of Barnabas Fund in Australia. Ashley, special welcome along to 2020. Good morning, Neil. It's great to be with you again and good morning to your listeners. Ashley, let's start with uh, something of perhaps a uh, you know a look at biblical times, a uh, reflection we might be able to glean as we talk about some things that are happening today, but uh, this hasn't taken God by surprise that there'll be some hard times for Christian believers, but how do you reflect on a, a biblical foundation for what we might understand as Christian believers? Well, Jesus certainly told us that uh, there would be a cost to people following him. And uh, you might uh, recall that at different times he said you know, to, to people, take up your cross and follow me, that there's going to be a, an accounting, there's going to be a cost, um, that uh, yes, forgiveness is free, but in terms of uh, the cost to people of picking up your cross and following Jesus is there. Uh, on another occasion before he was crucified, he said, if they've persecuted me, they will persecute you. And, uh, and so this has been something that has been with us from the time of Christ. Um, In terms of the Western world in particular, it's gone through different stages of heightened persecution. Uh, But I I guess up until recent times in the West, so for example, in my young years, about 40 or 50 years ago, growing up in Newcastle, uh, the cost of discipleship was being called a name by people at school or um, by facing a situation where you need to choose or not to choose to involve yourself in a certain activity that all your friends are involved with. Now, um, I'm not saying that's not a cost, but 
when you compare that to the sorts of things that Jesus talked about, when you compare that to the sorts of things that early New Testament Christians went through, when you compare that to uh, the situation even in Australia today, let alone the situation in many countries like Nigeria that you mentioned, um, it, it's, it's a minor cost that we needed to count when I was a young fellow growing up 40 or 50 years ago. And, uh, and yet uh, we need increasingly to be conscious that uh, we need to count the cost. And in countries around the world, I guess Christians fall into a couple of uh, different categories. And I'm not talking here about denominational categories, but either you're born into a predominantly Christian community and uh, like so much of the world, your uh, religion or your faith is a part of what you're born into. Um, and the other category are people who come out of another religion, uh, for example, Islam, they find the saving grace of Jesus Christ and they need to count the cost. And there are numerous examples of people around the world who, when they have come to see the saving grace of Jesus Christ, have suffered for it uh, big time. And uh, I guess the biblical reflection, uh, to come back to that, is that Jesus told us to expect it. And uh, for many of us, perhaps here in the West, we took our eye off that because it was such a very minor, minimal part and the cost was not very great for most of us. Well, that's interesting, isn't it, to reflect back to your younger years and uh, when you've been a Christian for a long time and you were around church life in your teenage years and uh, you're reflecting back to those times, uh, the sorts of things that uh, you were counting as the cost and it's like the idea of, well, you know, a little finger pointing, you know, you shouldn't go to nightclubs or you shouldn't smoke cigarettes, you shouldn't drink heavily. Uh, those are the sorts of things. And uh, and as a young Christian, you might have thought, well, you know, I've got to count the cost that I'm going to give up those things because I'm going to be a believer. I'm going to follow Christ. But what you're saying here is, uh, is that there's something much, much deeper when we start to acknowledge that there is a cost that's being counted around the world for those who are being persecuted for their faith. Uh, they've put their whole lives on the line by standing for truth and they bear a lot of consequences that we can't even imagine here in Australia. Yes, that's right. And uh, just again, to bring it home to Australia for a moment, there's a Christian school in the greater Brisbane area that last week was looking at the story of Daniel and uh, the story of Daniel, how that uh, the rule went out that he wasn't to uh, uh, worship the one true God uh, but he did so and suffered the consequences. And one of the students in this particular class put up his hand and said, uh, why didn't he just fake it? Um, and, um, uh, you know, why don't we just fake it if there's a cost? Uh, and so it really is something that we need to have a proper understanding of. Um, I think we need to have a, a theology of suffering. We need to have an awareness uh, of, uh, of, of what it is to count the cost to follow Jesus. Uh, and even if as a teenager, it's that peer pressure, or it could be that your friends are being involved in something that uh, is either mean or, or something that is mildly criminal. Do I join in or don't I? Uh, what's the cost to me if I don't? And, uh, and so th those sorts of costs come into us, I guess, our reality is, uh, as teenagers. I remember, for example, as a young teenager first going to high school, and uh, I played soccer for the local church team in the Christian churches competition. And uh, uh, our teacher who was picking people for the team at school asked those who already played soccer on the weekend to stand on one side and those who didn't to stand on the other. Now, I went 
on the side with those who played soccer at school, uh, soccer on the weekend. And uh, when he said, who do you play for? And I said, Mayfield Baptist. He said, that doesn't count. Get over there with the others. Now, I've got to tell you, they sneered at me and I felt terrible. Um, now, now that's, that, that's, I'm not saying that's minor um, for a young person to need to work through and whether you uh, stand up for Christ or fake it. Um, but they are relatively minor compared, A, to what is happening in the West today, where people are uh, being silenced because of their views, where people training to be educators need to ask themselves, um, do I out myself as a Christian by having a view on uh, gender fluidity or do I just go along with the masses? Um, all those sorts of things are much more major than what I went through. And even that that we're experiencing in Australia is nothing compared to what is happening in other countries. Well, isn't it amazing to reflect on some Bible stories here? And you mentioned Daniel, and uh, immediately I thought of Daniel's three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And the interesting thing here is we'll often talk about, you know, the three friends or Daniel, and we'll talk about those things in the context of not bowing the knee, of keeping God first, front and center, of not bowing the knee to any other God. Uh, but the interesting thing here is that when Daniel was tested, when Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego were tested, they were sentenced to be executed. And in fact, the stories that we read about them, their survival stories are God's deliverance while they were being executed for their faith. We don't often think about the executed part, do we, as someone who's standing strong in their faith. And they survived. But there's another, just a, I'll get your thoughts there, Ashley, but there's another instance that came to mind as you're sharing about Daniel too. And that is John the Baptist, uh, who was executed for his faith, had his head chopped off, uh, but he was executed but wasn't delivered and there's no miracle that saw him sort of necessarily uh, raised from the dead and, uh, you know, an amazing Bible story there. So you've got these wonderful stories of survival and God's deliverance and then you've got other stories in the Bible where you have believers who lost their lives. So there's it's, it's like you've got to expect both ways. What are your thoughts around those things? Uh, yes, you do need to simply put your life in the hands of the Lord God. And uh, there are times when he will deliver. And even today, there are stories where uh, where people who were about to uh, shoot Christians uh, put their guns down and ran away because they saw this army of white that the, the Christians themselves didn't see. Um, there are wonderful stories of um, deliverance of God's people even today. And yet there are also, as there were in Bible times, uh, accounts of many Christians who don't uh, get delivered. Uh, we, we've seen videos of uh, ISIS beheading Christian doctors in the Middle East. We've seen uh, what happened with um, the beheading of Christians in uh, Northern Africa um, a few uh, years ago, uh, and, um, and it happens. And we need to ask ourselves, uh, am I willing to put my hands in, the li in my life, rather, in the hands of Jesus, whatever happens? And so, for example, John the Baptist is in prison. And he knows that he's about to be executed. And uh, he, he asks himself a pretty natural question. He asks himself, is this all for a reason? Is this uh, all um, something I should be standing up for? And so he, he sent the question back to Jesus, are you the one? And he was so encouraged with the message that came back that, uh, that yes, Jesus is the one. 
And uh, you get a sense that John the Baptist then said, well, if Jesus is the one, uh, whatever happens is worth happening. And uh, years and years ago, centuries ago, it was said that the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. And uh, listeners in uh, Australia here today can be encouraged by the news that uh, in so many countries, uh, the church is growing rapidly in places where there is suffering and persecution. Interesting that when you are confronted with standing for truth or compromising and going along with the flow, Ashley, you can have a head-in-the-sand idea and have a what I might consider to be a vain hope that common sense and peace will prevail. But if you are forced to take sides, as we are increasingly finding because of the divergence away from Christian truth on a whole lot of different issues, then somehow or other you've got to make a stand somewhere. So having the head in the sand actually doesn't do any good. You've got to be able to perhaps read the game and recognize that there is a division and people are taking sides. Somewhere along the line, we're going to be told uh, told uh, uh, where to stand or, or given an op- option to put up a hand, take one side or the other. Uh, it's a tough decision, isn't it? It is a tough decision. And we can be encouraged by the fact, uh, I guess, by a couple of facts. One is that there are many people around the world and through history who have taken that stand. And secondly, we can be encouraged by the fact that we remain in the Lord's hands, whatever happens. You know, at the turn of the 20th and 21st century, there was terrible anti-Christian violence in East Indonesia. And uh, one of the stories that has really impacted me was the story of a young fellow from East Indonesia, um, uh, a teenager, if that, but uh, a very young fellow. And uh, as the uh, extremists were going through his town, uh, he was asked, uh, basically, who, what, what are you? And he said, I'm a soldier of Christ. And uh, the person said, um, what does a soldier of Christ do? And the answer was, a soldier of Christ is willing to lay down his life for his Lord. And with that, the boy was killed. And, uh, and I get so encouraged by that, that this young fellow was so convinced that Jesus Christ is Lord, that he was willing to lose his life. And yet um, he is remembered. Uh, if uh, any of your listeners went to today to the Barnabas Fund YouTube channel where there's a range of videos, one of the videos there is called The Age of Martyrs. And it has, um, uh, to some haunting music, pictures of martyrs through the centuries. And this young fellow is uh, one of the boys uh, who is shown uh, in that video. Uh, Patrick Sukadeo wrote a book called The Heroes of Our Faith. And again, this boy's story is recorded. Uh, There is a legacy to faithfulness. Yes, uh, you might suffer a little, you might suffer a lot, you might suffer the loss of your life, but there is a legacy that gives praise to Jesus Christ. Helping you make sense of life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 on Vision. We're talking the cost of discipleship today. Ashley Saunders is our guest, the National CEO of Barnabas Fund in Australia. 1-800-316-316 to join in our conversation and you can respond to our Facebook question at facebook.com forward slash vision radio. Ashley, we mentioned the deteriorating situation in Nigeria. Uh, What have you got for us as the latest developments? I've mentioned uh, 6,000 Christians killed there in the last five years. Uh, What's happening there at the moment? Well, we're in the process of establishing a website Uh, called Save Nigerian Christians, and we'll be urging Australians to take some action, um, urging our Prime Minister to raise 
the situation in Nigeria at uh, Commonwealth heads of government level. Uh, in the process of doing this, we're of course going through a series of fact checks to make sure that everything we say is absolutely correct. There are some reports that it's more than 6,000, that it could even be over 8,000 uh, Nigerian Christians who have been killed, and not just in the north or uh, northeast, but even down into the central belt um, where, uh, where the Islamist extremists, and uh, again, for your listeners, we, we need to make this distinction that there are some peaceful Muslims, but we're talking here about, about Islamist extremists who are determined that, uh, that there will be no Christians living um, in this part of the world. And uh, their, their agenda is to remove all Christians. Um, Christians have not only said, as you indicated at the outset of this discussion, that uh, there are so many incidents, we're not reporting them now, but one Nigerian Christian leader said, it's as though Nigerian Christian lives don't matter. And, uh, and so when we see the Black Lives Matter campaign happening in other parts of the world, in particular the USA, um, it's really interesting that, uh, that the, the highlight is not on the, um, the Nigerian black lives that matter because they happen to be Christians. And, uh, and so thousands of Christians have been killed. Um, many, many more have been injured. Many more have been displaced. And it is becoming a, a desperate case. You said that uh, Nigeria is called the giant of Africa, that its population is the largest population in Africa. It's the seventh largest population in the world. And so we're not talking about a small country. We're talking about a major country, uh, both in terms of its size and its population. But we're also talking about a, uh, a very pivotal country in terms of Christian witness, because the Nigerian Christians uh, have been at the forefront of standing up for evangelical uh, conservative biblical theology and, and for that being lived out in practice. Is it any surprise that a bastion of conservative evangelical biblical Christianity is so much under attack at the moment? And uh, it, it seems that uh, at best the governments in some of these areas uh, stand by and do nothing. At worst, there are reports that there is some complicity on the part of the, the governments, um, but those things are being fact-checked, as I said, and by the time that website is released within the next week or so, uh, you can be certain that everything that's on there has been fact-checked thoroughly. Uh, but uh, even if governments just stand by and do nothing, that is terrible. Uh, in some places, there have been nighttime curfews and the only impact of the nighttime curfew is to ensure that Christian families are in their homes because those who want to injure or kill them um, don't abide by the curfew and use the nighttime as an opportunity to increase their killing spree. It is just a devastating situation. And uh, so go back to that, that boy in the school uh, in the uh, greater Brisbane area only a week or so ago who said, why not fake it? Um, why, wh wh why actually go ahead and uh, let yourself be known to be a Christian? And, um, and it is clear that um, the allegiance that these Nigerian Christians owe to the Lord Jesus Christ is more important than anything else. Do they grieve? Of course they do. Do they weep? Of course they do. Um, there, there is a video that we have available on our website of, um, of 
uh, people crying at funerals. You know, there was even a wedding uh, where the uh, Islamist extremists took the opportunity of killing people at a wedding. Uh, and, um, and, and the grief is terrible. Uh, the grief is devastating. This is an alarming situation that, uh, that you and I and maybe most of our listeners, uh, Neil, cannot fully comprehend um, the incredible cost of being known to be a follower of Jesus. Uh, in Nigeria, it is, it, it is a devastating situation for a great country and a great bastion of biblical Christianity. Talking the cost of discipleship today, let's take a call. Chris is on the line from Emerald in Queensland. Hello, Chris. Welcome. How you going, mate? Good, Chris. What are your thoughts for our conversation today? Um, you were talking about um, those that do uh, die and then there are those who are saved. Uh, I think the key, one of the key factors anyway, is maybe found in the uh, story of Esther, where uh, at a certain point she was quiet about her um, allegiance to uh, being a Jew and then at a point she had to make a stand. So, I mean, you know, yeah. So there's a certain level of discernment there as to when you speak up and wave your flag as a Christian and when you might actually remain silent if you're in the middle of a potential disastrous situation when it comes to alerting others to your Christianity. And a quick response here, Ashley Saunders. Oh, yes, that's a, a wonderful thing to be discerning and uh, to know when is it that, that the Lord is asking me to make a stand. And maybe after the news, I could talk more about Esther. Uh, some years ago, before I was involved with Barnabas Fund, I visited the city in Iran uh, where the remains of the palace are that Esther was queen. And the other monument uh, in, that, in that town or city is uh, Daniel's tomb. And uh, we might want to reflect on that a bit after the news. Ashley, let's just talk and reflect on the value of persecution for a few moments because while we think it's a dreadful thing that people are persecuted for their faith, that people are martyred for their faith, there's real value for uh, all of us who say, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ because uh, as we might reflect, over the years, over the centuries when persecution has flourished, it's given believers an awareness of the potential cost of discipleship. What are your thoughts around if we might see that there is a, some sort of a silver lining in the dark cloud of Christian persecution? Well, well, Neil, even today, Christians who are persecuted for their faith rarely ask us to pray that the persecution will stop. But rather they say, please pray that I will be faithful under persecution. They know that there is incredible witness in persecution. And they also say, please pray for our persecutors, that when they see how faithful we are in the face of persecution, that they too may come to know the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, Neil, you mentioned Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego uh, before the news. And uh, interestingly, in their case, when they were being uh, thrown into the fire, they said, we are confident that our Lord will um, will we, we, we'll carry us through this. But even if he doesn't, we will not bow our knee to anyone other than the one true God. That's an incredible witness. That's an encouragement for you and for me and for every Christian who has to take a stance. Uh, your caller before the news also talked about Esther and discernment. And, uh, you know, Daniel exercised discernment as well, because when he was uh, working for the Persian emperor, 
and uh, and there was the edict that went out to say that you're not allowed to to, to pray for the next X number of days. Uh, Daniel didn't go out into the street and make a public spectacle of his disobedience. The Bible tells us that Daniel continued to do what he always did, and that was to pray in the privacy of his bedroom. And uh, they were looking at him because these other people who were jealous of him had said, he is so faithful, he is so good, that the only thing that we're going to find against him is in the matter of his religion. And uh, what a testimony that is. And uh, again, when Daniel was willing, uh, even in the privacy of his own bedroom, to do what was right, and he paid the cost, he went into the, the den of lions, and then when he came out the next morning, the king was, was so impressed that he sent this, this wonderful proclamation around the empire that the God of Daniel is the one true God. And, you know, if you go to that city uh, in the modern day Iran today, you will find the tomb of Daniel and you will find Iranian Muslims uh, going into the tomb of Daniel, which is a sacred place to them. They will be removing their shoes and they will be praying to their God, giving thanks to their God for Allah, now, to, for Daniel. Now, they don't know why they do that. And when I was there, I had the opportunity of telling this fellow why Daniel was so special to your nation. You know, there's a legacy. Now, uh, if you or I are persecuted, if you or I suffer um, a loss of livelihood or a loss of our lives for the sake of the king, I'm not going to say that they're going to build a monument to us, but there is a legacy of faithfulness that is an encouragement to every other follower of Jesus who hears your story, and your story will never be forgotten. Is there a sense here, Ashley, that when we talk about martyrs, we're talking about people who lose their lives? But increasingly here in Australia, and uh, we're not seeing martyrs here in Australia, and uh, that would be a, it's a, a, a rare uh, issue that that arises, apart from people who are serving in mission on foreign mission fields over the last hundred years. Yes, of course, there are Australians who have been martyred uh, for their faith. But here in Australia, the rise of being dragged before a tribunal or in front of a court, uh, even being imprisoned because you take a stand for your Christian faithfulness. Uh, those sorts of things, too, have the potential to remind us of the potential cost of discipleship. So there's real value in the fact that those who are suffering that way, actually, there's a, a significant message that's passed on to the Christian believers. What are your thoughts around the fact that there is a rise of people being dragged before tribunals and courts around all sorts of issues uh, and how that actually affects the way we think about our faith? Well, it certainly is going on, and uh, you don't have to listen to me. You can listen to the ACL, you can listen to Family Voice and a whole range of other groups who are highlighting uh, the number of instances here in Australia where people uh, are being prosecuted. You know, uh, whenever I speak uh, about persecution, uh, with, in the sense of Australia, I get one of two opposite approaches. There are either some who say, yes, we're being persecuted, or others who say, don't be silly compared to what's happening overseas, we're not. Uh, what I would certainly say is that we're being prosecuted, that that the progressive social agenda, which is mostly, um, I guess, the uh, aggressor in these things, is prosecuting individuals with a view to silencing all of us um, so that there is no alternate voice, that there is no dissent, that the progressive social agenda is regarded as normal. And uh, so the things that uh, you or I, Neil, or others of, of our listeners 
grew up with as normal are now not normal. That, that science, uh, biological science, is no longer normal uh, because there's a, another new normal. And unless you bow down to this, um, you, you know, our founder, uh, Dr. Patrick Sukadeo, wrote a book called um, uh, the, uh, the New Civic Religion a few years ago, talking about the rise of atheistic secular humanism, which has become the de facto civic religion in Western countries like Australia and Britain and others. And uh, this is an intolerant uh, religion. In the name of tolerance, it is so intolerant of, di of dissenting views. You either go along with it uh, or, or you don't count. Um, and um, you know, the people who are at the forefront uh, suffer incredibly, but the agenda is to prosecute a few in the hope that the majority, the many, will be silenced. Okay. Interesting when you say when you've got a progressive social agenda, that becomes the new normal. And uh, while a lot of people will think, oh, isn't that just what they talk about in the headlines when they're discussing the differences, say, between a Trump and a Biden, uh, that, that uh, you know, it's just like something that happens in the news almost as entertainment. But this progressive social agenda becoming the new normal has a outcome which you can forecast and that is that Christians will be either having to go along with the new social agenda or you don't count. That's where the potential for persecution comes to a place like Australia, Ashley. Yes, that's very true and uh, you need to count the cost and, uh, and so uh, some people will be dissuaded from applying for jobs, for example, in places where they might be put on the line about what they believe. Um, others will uh, apply for those jobs. Others who are in those jobs uh, may very well find themselves in a position where they're being stood down or where there's some action against them or they need to be uh, re-educated um, about uh, the new normal. Um, and um, this, is, this is an agenda um, that is um, rampant. It is anti-Christian. It is uh, it, it is anti-family. Um, it is one that uh, is increasingly uh, regarded as normal by so many. And, um, and so again, there will be some people um, like your previous guest, Dan Flynn, who will be very public in, um, in, in taking a stance publicly on these things. There will be others uh, who will be saying, I hope I don't get asked. But if I do get asked, I will have to tell the truth. And there'll be others who will be tempted just to fake it. Uh, again, going back to that boy from the school of last week. And uh, but again, when we're put in those positions, um, we can be confident that there are others who have walked this path. We're not the first people to have walked this path. There are others who've walked this path, and they are our encouragement. Um, and we can look to the Lord Jesus Christ, who is our ultimate example, because. Uh, he could have denied who he was. He could have succumbed to any one of Satan's temptations. He could have taken the easy road, but he didn't. And because he didn't, there is hope for every one of us who owns the name of Jesus Christ. Ashley, what do you say to people who say, uh, don't talk so much about martyrdom and persecution. It makes Christianity sound too hard. I mean, there are people who are evangelists. They're trying to win some new convert 
to Christ. And when we talk about these things like persecution of Christian believers, uh, martyrdom that's been happening around the world in a significant and increasing way, it makes being a Christian sound very unattractive. I mean, if you're going to sell a used car, you don't want to be pointing out all of the defects. Uh, there's, a, there's a real challenge there, isn't there? What are your thoughts for people who say, uh, you know, I want, to, I want to close my ears to this because it makes my Christianity sound like it's going to be too hard to bear? Um, it's the truth. That's my first comment. And secondly, um, when people are confronted with whether to come to Jesus or not, um, they need to recognize that there is a cost. Jesus said, count the cost. Uh, he didn't say, just come and follow me and, and it's all going to be uh, eggs and ham. It's all going to be nice and easy. He said, uh, count the cost, pick up your cross and follow me. And, uh, and so there is a cost. And uh, people who have counted the cost um, when having counted the cost, they have put their trust in Jesus. They have not been disappointed. And that's the message of hope uh, for every one of us. You know, there's there's hope um, for uh, persecuted Christians. There's hope for every one of us. Uh, one of the messages that uh, that I uh, give in churches is is about uh, Joseph. And, um, and I just love that part towards the end of Genesis when he confronts the brother's who did so much harm against him. And he said, what you meant for harm, God used for good. And um, many through the centuries have been encouraged by that reality, that what others mean for harm, God can use for good. And there is a hope uh, beyond present circumstances. There's a hope for, there was a hope for Daniel. There was a hope for his generations beyond, beyond Egypt. You know, um, the Joseph story doesn't finish with that wonderful proclamation that you meant it for harm, but God used it for good. Uh, Genesis finishes with Joseph saying, yes, I'm going to die here, but please promise me that when God delivers us from this land, you will carry my bones to the land of promise. You know, Joseph knew that even though Egypt was a part of God's plan for the here and now, that there was hope beyond Egypt, that the destiny lay in the land of promise. And, you know, there is a, a hope for persecuted Christians that... Um, they might be in this lot now, but there is hope beyond that. And there's hope for every one of us. You know, the Revelation, the book of Revelation finishes with this wonderful wedding feast of the Lamb. And for every one of us who owns the name of Jesus, there is a wonderful eternal hope. And so the good news is that in this life, God is worth it. Committing your life to Jesus Christ in this life is worth it. Counting the cost in this life is worth it. And on top of that, it is worth it for all eternity. And so I don't preach a gospel that says it's about just the here and now. I don't preach a gospel that says it's just about um, uh, heaven to come. Uh, what I say is that life here and now might not be easy. Uh, there may be a cost that we need to count, whether in terms of prosecution or employment or a whole range of things. There could be a cost here and now, even in Australia, but it is still worth it. Um, you know, someone years ago who was hard up for money was a person who uh, was very strict on giving at least a tithe uh, of his income to the Lord, uh, even though money was really tight. And this person said to me, he said, Ashley, uh, I am convinced that I always did more on 90% than I ever could with 100. Because what he's saying there is, in terms of my finances, I put God first and God honoured that. And, uh, and that's the message, not just financially, but in terms of um, all parts of our life. 
if we put God first, he is no man or woman's debtor. He will not disappoint us. Yes, we might suffer and, uh, and know that when we suffer, there will be uh, hundreds, if not thousands or more of fellow Christians who will be willing to put their arms around us and to support us in prayer and in practical action. There is a community of believers. We, the church, are the, the body of Christ. And so I want your listeners today not only to get a message of what's happening uh, in terms of Nigeria and other places and even here in Australia, but to know that, that there is, in counting the cost, that we are part of something that's bigger than ourselves, that there is um, hope for today and that there is hope for all eternity. You know, it was Jesus who said, count the cost of discipleship. And we see the enormous growth of the early church in the first century and way beyond. And we've been talking a little about Nigeria today. And of course, there are lots of other African nations where uh, where there is uh, issues of persecution. And the church, as I understand it, and you can, you can uh, contribute here, uh, the church in these nations is flourishing in an amazing way. And we can point the finger too to China and say that uh, Chinese uh, persecution has given uh, rise to the growth and the, uh, the magnificent development of the Christian church. I wonder whether, Ashley, here we are in Australia, without heavy persecution and without our own martyrs, just to ask you whether there is something that maybe causes us to think that our faith is less valuable because we don't have our own martyrs and some significant persecution issues in our own Aussie backyard. Any thoughts there? Uh, I think we've become accustomed uh, for many of us who are in their 50s, 60s or older, we've become accustomed to church and accustomed to Christianity being in the centre of our culture. And uh, and so with the rising reality that Christianity is no longer at the centre, uh, but is going increasingly to the margins of our culture, um, it, it has caused many in Australia and other Western nations to wonder, well, what does that mean for my faith? Or what does that mean for the assumptions that I've made about following Jesus? And uh, and yet I'm convinced that uh, whether um, Christianity remains in the centre of culture, whether Christianity removes uh, increasingly to the margins, that there is a hope. It might mean that church looks different. It might mean that um, being a follower of Jesus looks different and we need to count the cost in a different or a greater way. But I'm convinced that uh, when we um, realize that it's not about what I'm used to or it's not about my comfort, it's not about um, uh, Christianity being the center of my culture, but it's about being faithful whatever happens. That's the message of hope, I think, for today, Neil, for, for, for us and for, for your listeners, that whatever happens, the message of hope is that Jesus Christ is worth it. And uh, uh, a couple of years ago in England, I met... Um, I met a, an African pastor from Uganda who was a convert from Islam. And he said that after he became a pastor, um, that the extremists uh, really took very badly to uh, his role as a pastor, the fact of his conversion. He says that even though there are 80% uh, Christian in a, a country like Uganda and only 13% Islam, uh, that if you convert from Islam to Christianity, you are persecuted. He has sustained and survived more than 13 assassination attempts on his life, the most recent one a few years ago, 
was when he'd been preaching and he walked outside the church building and calling out to Allah, some extremist poured a bucket of acid all over his head. Mm-hmm. Now, I, I, I want you to imagine that. And uh, he went through three years of medical treatment in Uganda and then India and then Israel. And now he's back in Uganda, pastoring a major church and witnessing powerfully to the truth of the good news of Jesus. You know, Jesus is worth it. And so that's a message of hope, Neil, not only for you and for me, uh, but for all of your listeners here this morning. Well, we do need to account the cost, and that might mean a stopping and a reflecting upon what could happen in a bad way as circumstances deteriorate. But, of course, uh, let's end on a high note here, Ashley Saunders. In Australia right now, uh, persecution is nothing like what we're seeing in nations like Nigeria and some of these other African nations or indeed in China. And, and we can probably point to a whole lot of different nations in the Middle East. But be, we, can, we can count the cost right now. And that actually makes it more valuable to say that while we can speak openly, loudly and proudly uh, to be a, a messenger of reconciliation, a person who carries this good news, this has to be a time when we embrace such an opportunity as this. What are your thoughts for, uh, you know, if we're counting the cost, we're also counting what's happening in the circumstances right now and the opportunity we have, a window of opportunity, Ashley Saunders. Uh, Yes, that's true, Neil. You know, the whole of biblical uh, prophecy is, is not only about what will happen in the future, but it's asking every follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, how then should I live today? And so every one of your listeners should be encouraged by the fact that uh, today we have freedoms uh, to do certain things and we can we can proudly witness to who we are as followers of Jesus Christ and we should take that opportunity. Uh, we, should, um, we, we, we should live today, we should plan for a future, but we should live for today as though it was our last. And that means making the most of every opportunity, every opportunity to uh, not to have targets, but rather to build relationships, meaningful relationships, uh, where the the nature of that relationship and the nature of who I am, and even uh, if I need to count a cost, that that testifies to not only my faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, but the truth of the claims that Jesus Christ has. And so that should be a great encouragement to take opportunities that we have and to, yes, in counting the cost, make the most of what it means to be a follower of Jesus here and now today. Ashley, great getting your insights today as the national CEO of Barnabas Fund in Australia and Barnabas Fund, one of the many good organisations that do tremendous work supporting the persecuted church around the world. Long history, wonderful runs on the board, a wonderful organisation you're working with. There is a focus that you've got on Nigeria. We, we were talking about the Nigerian church a little earlier. There is a campaign that you've got running right now called Save Nigerian Christians. Uh, what is it you'd hope listeners might glean from, uh, from that focus that you've got with the Save Nigerian Christians campaign? Uh, what's special for us to know there? Well, well, I would have hoped that it was up and running by now, but um, just in terms of fact-checking, we're, we're just doing the final stages of that before we finalise the website. We should be up and running soon, and I'll make an announcement about that. But it's an, it's an urging of Australian um, Christians to, uh, to take action, to be part of signing an open letter to the Prime Minister, 
to get the situation in Nigeria onto the agenda for the Commonwealth Heads of Government, the Chogham uh, meetings. Uh, we believe that it is important for the Commonwealth of Nations to take a lead. Nigeria is a significant country in the Commonwealth. Uh, it is uh, a proud, uh, a country with a proud Christian tradition. And so we'll be urging, there'll, there'll be information about the situation in Nigeria on that website, uh, but there'll also be that uh, petition or open letter, which we would hope that not only would um, Christians sign, but they would make it known to in their churches and amongst their friends. We would hope that there would be thousands of Christians who would be a part of this so that we can directly urge our Prime Minister to get this onto the Commonwealth Heads of Government, the Chogham uh, Agenda. And, uh, and so the website will be called Save Nigerian Christians. And uh, as soon as it's up and running, I'll make an announcement about that. Okay, Save Nigerian Christians. And uh, that website will be up and running soon. No doubt when it is, there'll be a link on the Barnabas Fund website too. And the Barnabas Fund website for Australia, barnabasfund.org.au. barnabasfund.org.au. Ashley Saunders, great getting your insights. If I can just, if, if I can just correct you. Yep. Uh, just a minute, Neil. It's not .au, it's slash .au, barnabasfund.org slash .au. Okay, slash .au, because it's an international website and there'll be a, a particular uh, Australian page in there where people can be in touch with you. So barnabasfund.org forward slash .au. And uh, Ashley Saunders, uh, thanks so much for your update today on 2020. You're welcome, Neil. It's great to be with you and with your listeners. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.